Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. We'll, we'll start a few minutes early. Uh, he tells me every time to wait till 6.40, and I just cannot bring myself to do it. So, man, it's good to be back with you guys. So, uh, I got a little uh, assortment, new little uh, gift that I'm wearing right here, this neck brace. Uh, I didn't bail on you guys. I didn't just stop teaching. Uh, I'm living the book of Judges right now uh, in, in some ways <laughs> where everyone sees as they see fit. Yeah, I did that and paid the price. Uh, long story short, because it's a, a long story, uh, I am a victim of my own stupidity is what it comes down to. Good night. Uh, we just took a family outing. We're going to go to you know northwest Arkansas. Had uh, three of our four kids, my wife, and uh, it's a... It, it, honestly, I want to tell you lots of it because I, I, I love telling the story of Jesus' protection and the beautiful stories of what he did. Uh, I'll tell you little glimpses of it, and I'm actually... I'm writing it right now uh, that I'm going to put out on Kindle, not because anyone to buy it, but I want my kids to have, to have it someday. I want them to be able to read it. I want to tell the, the story of God's protection. But long story short, we loaded up. It was one of those days where all the kids were out of school. And so we went down. You guys been to Crystal Bridges before? Man, that's beautiful back there. Just gorgeous. They've got some phenomenal biking trails back there. And uh, Sydney, for her birthday, said, Dad, I want to go ride those trails. And my son Levi got a new mountain bike, and so we're like, all right, let's do it. That'd be great. be awesome. And so we went down there. We, we got some bikes. The city rents bikes for like $5 an hour, and our bikes are just, except for Levi's. Ours, the rest of the families are just Walmart junk. Let's just, sorry if you work at Walmart. I'm just saying in terms of high echelon mountain bikes, you don't buy good mountain bikes at, at Walmart. We'll just say that. It's not where you go. Um, and so none of us have got good bikes. So we thought, hey, they rent giant bikes down there. We'll go down there. We'll get good bikes. So we showed up. And uh, when we got down there, this guy's first day on the job, we kind of get these bikes, and man, they are a great brand. They're Giant, the brand name, Giant Bikes. Wonderful bikes, but man, they're in bad shape. And uh, long story short, uh, we went to ask him for helmets. And this is the first provision of God's grace. Uh, he, uh, uh, if you guys listen to the podcast, uh, I'm wearing a neck brace because I broke my neck. So I clarify that for a second. Anyway, um, we're sitting there. I'm like, the people in the podcast are like, why is he telling this story? Uh, we go through and they don't have helmets. And so I do that dad thing. Uh, if you, you guys in here are fathers and you know that for, or if your spouses, you can now glare at your husband. It's that moment when you know that you're wrong, but you get really mad anyway and you're irritated. Well, I, I know I'm irritated. I know I'm wrong because, you know, he says, we don't have helmets here. We don't rent helmets. We just rent bikes. And I'm like, I'm trying to, you got anything he's got? We got these and lost and found and they were terrible. One of them was good. I gave it to my wife. Levi had his. Neither one of my smaller two kids had anything. My wife's like, we'll be okay. I was like, no, we can't just go out there. And I'm being grumpy and fussing a little bit. And I get my two youngest kids. I'm like, I got to go to this bike shop around the corner. And I already know as soon as I go into a specialty shop, I mean, I'm just mad now. I know I'm about to spend a bunch of money. I'm ticked off. I'm irritated. I literally remember how Silas and Sydney walked behind me. And I'm just going to show you my ungodly nature. I just looked at both of them. I said, I am not mad at you. I'm not ticked at you, but don't talk to me. You got it? You follow along behind me. Don't say anything. Just be silent and walk. So some of you in this room know that dad moment. You've had it. Like, yeah, 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 I've done that. And some of you are like, wow, no, I've always been righteous. I've never done that. So anyway, I was an absolute, just a bit of a jerk to him. And so I had to go buy these helmets that I couldn't afford and walked in and told this guy. I said, hey, man, I said, we're going to go mountain biking. 
I, I go, well, man, you should have rented the bikes from us. We provide helmets. I'm like, well, that's great. I've already paid over here. It's done. And uh, he's like, oh, well. And so anyway, uh, I bought helmets for my kids, but I didn't have one. I just had this one that was busted that I got from Lost and Found. Even have a buckle on it. And I said, you got like a buckle I can put on here? And he's like, well, no. And he's like, eh, I figured I'd just tie it on or something. And, uh, and we're walking out. This guy literally looks at me and he says, hey, man, um, why don't you take one of these? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to loan you one of ours and uh, just bring it back later. And uh, that guy hadn't done that. Man, I, I called him when I got home from the hospital. And uh, I'm not one to tear up. But I called him and I said, dude, you absolutely saved my life. I said, I landed right on rock. I was probably coming down from my height being on top of the bike and the bike being elevated, the ground sloping away. It's probably almost 10 feet from where I actually hit. And uh, I said, dude, I'd, I'd probably be, you know, a possibility of brain damage right now. And I just want to thank you, you know, for saving my life. And, uh, but we went down, we went biking that day. Everything's great. And uh, what happens is uh, on these trails, they're awesome, but they've, They've got like these, uh, have you guys ever been around there where you see some of the elevated platforms? They don't have just like the normal trails you ride. They've also got some like, things like me that look like playground equipment. You know, I'm literally thinking that. I'm a grown man thinking this is a playground. And like any kid, you think you can do anything on the playground. And that's what I thought, man. So I'm riding this mountain bike. I'm having a great time. And I go up this elevated platform that's just curved. It's about, I don't know, it's about that wide. And I get up there, the first time I see it is like, dude, I got no business doing this, but this is going to be awesome. So Levi, he's 16, he's a wrestler, he's in great shape. He passed it, but I go on it. And I'm like, this is going to be fun. Well, I get up the first time and I fly off of it because I can't stay on it so curved. Literally, my wife saw me. I did a full front flip in the air, you know, land, roll, get up. Like, oh, that hurt, but that was awesome. And I jump up and we ride for several more hours and having a great time and all kinds of trails. We come back around. And Levi's like, hey, Dad, there's, they've got this thing. It's kind of like a teeter-totter. And uh, I, I don't know. It's a board that probably, I don't know if it goes as high, that high or not. But basically, you ride up it on your mountain bike. And as you get halfway up, you slow down. And then the other side goes down, and you ride down. It's really cool. It is really a neat thing. There's all kinds of stuff to do on this thing. And uh, he's like, hey, Dad, I, I want to do that one one more time. End of the day. I'm like, oh, you bet, man. But I knew I had to go back by that curved platform. Like, it's a... It's basically like a path that's elevated about that high off the ground, and it's just, it just curves. And you got to ride this curved, elevated. There's no side to it. So I get up there, and I'm riding on that thing, and I almost make it to the end, but I start thinking about my back wheel, thinking, dude, I hope my back wheel doesn't go off that back curve because I've kept it a little tight. And as soon as I thought about that back wheel, man, that front wheel went off, and I literally, I didn't black out. It happened so fast. So fast. I mean, like lightning. That wheel went off, and as soon as it went down, I think that whole seat and everything just catapulted me forward. Just went flying through the air. Bam. Didn't even, I don't think I got time to get my hands down. And I was going so fast. If I did, they just, there's no way I could have stopped myself. And man, as soon as I hit, I heard it. Just, I mean, I heard the snap. You know, I could, I could hear it. And I was kind of by myself. Levi was up ahead. My wife and two kids, other two kids were further behind. And I knew I broke my neck immediately. There was no doubt. I mean, I'd had, uh, like, I've got, like, I think three, like three or four titanium rods and, like, six or seven screws back here from a dumb, another dumb thing I did. Um, and so I knew that pain going down my leg, well, this was different. My whole arm, I stood up out of adrenaline. My whole arm just went completely numb. I took a couple of steps, and then literally, like the Holy Spirit said, you know, hey, you broke your neck, and I knew it. 
And I just said, all right. And my thing is when I get in crisis, I don't freak out. I tend to get real calm. And I was like, all right, here we go. What we need to do is like, I need to lay down. I need to lay down. I need to get still. So I yelled as loud as I could for Levi. And because uh, he was closest, I thought. Well, Sydney came up about the same time. I laid down real still. And I just said, hey, guys. I said, I broke my neck. Uh, I said, I can. I said, I need you to get my phone out of my left pocket. I need you to get mom. I need you to call. And uh, I said, uh, we're in a little bit of trouble here. And then, then I go into the whole process. So they took me to Northwest Arkansas. Didn't have a nurse, nurse surgeon there that could do it. So got a $35,000 helicopter bill. <clears throat> Hopefully insurance comes through on that. We'll see. And so they had to fly me by helicopter down here uh, so I could get the surgery done. So, yeah, I'm an idiot. I broke my neck. So, golly, man. Yeah. Somebody's like, you ever going to do that again? I'm like, probably. <laughs> probably, man. I just know myself well enough that I'll probably, you know, somebody's like, you want to go, right? you know, should we get you a mountain bike? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, like, take pictures and measurements. I'm going to make, like, some sort of a chalk outline that I'm going to ride over and 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 over. And then I'm going to go up there. I'm going to ride that thing. I'm going to throw the bike down. I'm going to build some stones of remembrance. And we'll sell the bike. So that's probably what I'll end up doing. But my wife says, no, no, you won't. We'll see how that goes. So, yeah, I broke the vertebrae that I broke were C6 and C7. And so, um, and end of the day, people ask, you know, how do you feel? And I feel joy. Uh, I think of what James says. He says, brothers, consider pure joy when you face trials of many different kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance has got to finish its work so that you can be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. And so everybody's like, well, man, do you, know, do you feel pain? I'm like, no, I feel joy. I get, you know, like, man, does it hurt? Like, man, I have no complaints uh, because I know there's story after story of people that, I saw the same weekend that, that young boy, um, Devon Gales from Georgia Southern, going on a football kick, and uh, he's just blocking on a punt return, and he breaks a C6, and he's paralyzed from the waist down for life. And, uh, you know, no, I have no pain. <laughs> I don't even understand. Uh, I, I would never complain. I, I, I have nothing to whine about. I'm, I'm so grateful to Jesus for his great mercy. And uh, somebody's like, oh, man, God showed you great mercy. Uh, I'm, you know, he must have... You know, great plans. Like, I, I don't know about that because I don't know what that says about other people who don't get that. I'd say show my wife mercy because, man, I'd have been a terrible patient. And, uh, and he, was, he was good to her. So, man, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, thanks for being patient with me being gone. I didn't just ditch you. Uh, I was just stupid. So I, uh, I like to say my, my parting comment on it is I tried to do things with my body that my skill set could not sustain. So uh, there it is. Uh, I, I just... I had no business being up on that, man. I don't ride mountain bikes, but I thought, I can do this. It'll be awesome. Crack. Uh, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful to Jesus, and I'm thankful to him for his mercy. So, yeah, that's good. Um, well, listen, uh, we're going to jump back in. And tonight we've got a lot to cover, but I love always letting you guys talk to each other, uh, especially in the midst of a busy week. And so, you know, I always have a question that I ask, uh, you know, have a you know, a thought that I want to kind of let you guys talk about. I like to keep these fun. I don't like to have them get heavy. No dark stories where, you know, you're, you're going to find yourself in a sad place. I'm not trying to do that to you. So keep it, keep it relatively enjoyable. Uh, keep it completely enjoyable. Uh, but what is, is something that you got yourself into? Maybe something that you bought that you never should have bought. Something you did you never should have, di- you never should have done. Uh, in light of me, I'll start. I just told you my story. Uh, but we're talking about Samson tonight a little bit as we're diving into. 
what's one thing when you look back in your life going, man, I got myself into this and I never should have got into that. Uh, another one I'd say is that I told you guys a story and I bought that stupid travel trailer for like 17 stupid thousand dollars. What the heck was I thinking? Used it like six times, got 14 back for it. How many nice hotels I could have stayed in for the money I lost? Man, that was stupid. I paid stupid tax on that. So tell a story, something you bought, something you did. Uh, or maybe if you want to be like Samson, somebody you dated that you never should have dated, as long as it's funny, uh, and you're not married to them and they're not in the room right now, so don't, don't do that. But have a little fun with it. Tell a story, and then we'll jump into the life of Samson. Ready to go? Let's do it. All right, let's get ready to go. All right, let's dive into Samson. Here we go. <coughs> This is uh, pretty much going to be our last judge. It's interesting because uh, we'll keep going. There's other stuff we're going to talk about through judges. It's interesting, though, because uh, with Samson, he's considered a minor judge, but he gets like three chapters devoted to him. And uh, I made a mistake in this when I kind of came up with our outline back in August, September, whenever it was, is that I thought, man, we can't spend three weeks on Samson. That's too much. And so I cut down and just did two weeks, and that was a big old mistake. Uh, the longer I've been into this, been studying it, man, I screwed that up. I should have done three weeks. Uh, and we're going to try to plow through three chapters tonight. And what, I frust- what I'm frustrated over, because we're going to end on time, what I'm frustrated about is I've got to move through some really cool things that I wish we could camp out in. Uh, but I, I was doing it back then because I thought, oh, man, I don't know if these guys want to spend three weeks on Samson. That's a long time. But looking back... We need three weeks, um, because even the beginning of the story is just amazing. Let's just start out with the first verse. Uh, you guys remember, we've talked about this over and over. This, uh, and I forgot one of them, I can't remember what it is right now. Um, but the principle is still the same. We've seen in the Judges, where we went through and we looked at all those scriptures one after another. And we found this cycle they go through. And it's not just, it's just, not, it's not just the Israelite cycle. Man, for crying out loud, it's, it's mine, it's yours, it's us. That we are screwed up people who do screwed up things, man. And I think if any of us want to sit in this room and, and, and think that we are somehow like the most righteous people on the face of the planet, we don't ever do wrong. Man, who are we kidding here? We know that we're screwed up people who do screwed up things. Uh, we know our own thoughts. We know the things go through our heads. We know the things that if all of a sudden that projector started playing our lives, dude, it plays part of mine. I'm out the room. Peace out. See you later. There's things that... I don't want to discuss with you all about dumb things I've done and dumb things I've said and dumb places I've been. and It's just me. It's who I am. And, and I would I imagine no matter what our age is in this room, there are parts of our life we don't like to have on display. And here's the beautiful thing in Scripture that I love about God. If I'm writing my story, and that's what God's writing His story. And there are so many things about, about my own family that I kind of want to whitewash a little bit or sterilize or clean up. You know what I mean? I, I want to tell that part of you know. Or if somebody's writing my story, I'm like, man, don't 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 put that in there. I don't want anybody to know about that one. And God is so rich in His grace and mercy that He tells us the truth, and He says, man, I want you to see this mess for what it really is, and it's messy. And Samson shows up right now, and this dude is jacked up. He's God's man who's completely screwed up. And uh, and here's here's what happens: we find ourselves in sin. And, uh, and, and from that sin, and again, I, I don't know what, what to discuss and what your, I know what my sins are, I don't know what your sins are, so we'll just say general here. 
We find ourselves in sin, and then eventually that sin starts feeling like it owns us, man. It's got our number. Uh, we find ourselves just, man, whether it be anger, whether it be gossip, whether it be lust. I don't, I don't know what it is, but at times it feels like, dude, she just owns me right now. and I can't get, out, I can't get away from this. And then eventually it breaks us. We're like, God, I don't want this. I don't want this to dominate my life. I don't want this to control me. And, and we cry out to God in sorrow. You know, we get to this point where we're saying, God, help, God. You know, it's not a matter. The difference between sorrow and supplication, this one just feels sorry for yourself. This one here is where I, I literally cry out to God for help. And so it's not just, it's godly sorrow, you know, it, it is what leads to repentance. Not just sorrow. You know, man, I have that conversation with my kids all the time. They're like, yeah, I feel bad about what I did. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not, about, it's not you feeling bad just because you, you got in trouble. It, it's you weighing an understanding of what it is you've done, what the consequences are, and how your actions cause pain. And that's what reads the supplication, where you find yourself crying out to God for help, and then He brings salvation. Until now. First time we won't see it, folks. Only time we won't see it. I'm going to read the first verse. I want you to look at that cycle. You know it. We've talked about it. We've lived in it. Um, Watch this. Chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. How many times have we done this now? How many times have we done this? Seven, eight times? What's different? What's different right now? This is the only time. This is it. It's all it's going to mention. What usually happens? When we read this, what usually happens? They don't. Yeah, exactly. This time is the one time they don't. They don't cry out. There it is. Guess about the state we talked about that whatever you're going to tolerate, eventually come to accept. We're there now. We started talking about clear back at week one. We first started this. Now we're there. We finally reached the point where they literally say, screw it. I don't care anymore. They're in slavery. And man, I've known people like that where literally, whether it be an addiction whether it be in a, you know, frustration in a marriage, whether it be frustration at work, frustration with anger, you'd literally get the point where, and I'm not trying to be crass, but it's just like, screw it, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. I don't care that God doesn't want to feel this way. I don't care that God doesn't want me to do that. I just don't care anymore. Like, just back off. Just get out of my face. I don't care anymore. I mean, Hebrews talks a little bit about that. You know, that, you know when you get to that point that you're not even willing to come to repentance anymore, you know, that you'll trample the Son of God underfoot. You, you know, you'll treat holy things as if they're unholy. And this reaches that point where these people don't even repent anymore. They just don't care. But what happens? God's still going to give a deliverer. Isn't that beautiful? That even when you've got family members, or even if it's you, and you just don't care anymore, He's still faithful. He's still faithful, and He still pursues the stiff-necked, unrepentant people. How many times, like a dog, like you know, Psalm is as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly. You know, you've seen that you know, that image of dog throwing up and walking over, licking it up. You're like, that's just nasty. That's just disgusting, dude. That's sin. That's us. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly. How many times have we said, man, I'm never going to do that again. Next thing you know, crap, I'm doing that again. I'm back at it again. What is my problem? Except this time for them, they just quit caring. They're done. They just stop caring. Let me show you how it unpacks. So we're going to meet uh, a certain man from Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The hero of this story, in my mind, really isn't Samson. It's her. We never even know her name. 
Uh, I love the different women that you guys have been able to study while I've been gone, you know, laying my back, that have really, you know, risen up. Here's another one that rises up. She really is, you know, a great woman in, uh, you know, early on. I think she makes mistakes later on in Samson's life that leads him to who he is. But early on, I love what this lady's about. Let's, let's keep reading. Um, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You're sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you don't drink wine or other fermented drink, uh, that you don't eat anything unclean because you're going to conceive and give birth to a son and no razor can be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Set apart to God from birth, uh, he'll begin the deliverance uh, of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Uh, there's a few things I want to pack that I think are interesting. You know, in, I mean, I don't know your story in this room. I don't know. I just don't know your story. I'm going to tell this lady's story, and, and please don't self-impose it. Don't self-impose what you know about you with what I don't know about you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this woman and, and her being barren and her being without, without a child. Um, in that day and age, that would have absolutely... It, it is hard in ways that I don't understand. Um, and I've sat with, with people that I deeply love. One of my dearest friends, he and his wife are unable to have kids. I mean, I've cried with him over this and the pain he's gone through over this. In this day and age, to not be able to have a child would have been a sign of disgrace. Because for you to be able to produce offspring for your husband, and it was always put on the woman. You know, you find that, oh, she's barren. She's the one. And, you know, we found through all kinds of science and technology that, hey, sometimes it's, you know, it's a low sperm count over here. There's all kinds of things that come into play. But it would have been utter disgrace and it's interesting as you go through some of the important people who have this in Scripture who start out like this. I mean, I immediately go, first thing you've got to think about is, is Abraham and Sarah. You know, she's barren. She's without child. She would have been you know, 90 years old, disgraced as a woman because she's unable. You remember the, the whole issue with the maidservant and all that stuff and all that tension, all of that drama that, you know, good grief, we got, you know, you know, Jews and Muslims fight to this day because of that. You know, it's just utter tension that comes into play right now because this woman's unable to produce. And from there, you, you think about Samuel. And here his mom is unable, Hannah's unable to have a child. You know, and, and you know, Sarah gets a visit from God, Hannah doesn't. And the, the disgrace she feels, that she says, man, God, if you give me a, a child, I'm going to give him right back to you. And so she sends her kid to go live with Eli, which is really bad parenting, just for the record. But it's a, it's a pretty, because Eli's a bad dude. But anyway, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing thing when you think about what happens in that case. And, you know, and of course, you, know, you, you, can't, you can't go any further without thinking, you know, obviously, of Jesus or of John the Baptist. You know, there's two more where John the Baptist, his uh, mother, can't think of her right now. What's her name? Oh, yeah, Elizabeth. My brain was like fried. You know, she's barren, able to have children. All of a sudden, God moves, and now she's got a baby in her womb. Now, think about it. There's a difference between... Between all these women, because we so quickly want to immediately go to who in this chapter? Who do you want to go to? Well, we went from Samson. When we hear that an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, we immediately want to draw an immediate relationship to who? Yeah, Mary. But there's something different here that I think is interesting. If I can go to a quick tangent. And you guys know that I like to go kind of a little bit deeper. This is a unique tangent. In the case of Sarah, she was disgraced because of what she couldn't do. She couldn't have a kid. She's Abraham's wife. She's disgraced. She, you know, in some ways, she's the problem. You know what I mean? You see that? She's disgraced. And you go into Hannah. She's disgraced because she's unable to produce. 
You move into John the Baptist with Elizabeth. And again, there's disgrace there that's brought on her because she is unable to produce. Here's the interesting thing with Jesus. God brings the disgrace on Mary. Man, the upright humiliation she went through because now she's this teenage girl. We don't know how old Mary is. We've heard anything from 12 to 18. We, we don't know. But the difference is this. At this time, Mary's a virgin. Mary's fully capable of having a kid. And Mary's made to look out like a whore. She's made to look like a, like a sleaze bag because here you are, this virgin. Yeah, 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 yeah. You almost have sympathy for Sarah. You almost have some sympathy for Hannah. You have sympathy for Elizabeth. But dude, I'm telling you, in this room, that sweet little Mary walks in this room, don't kid yourselves. You're judging her just like they did. I'm judging her just like they did. We judge in this culture to this day when it comes to unwed pregnancy. We do. I mean, some... It's a shame on Joseph, too. Oh, it's a shame on Joseph as well. But Joseph, at that point, didn't even know. He hadn't been told yet. But I'm looking at Mary saying, this is, this is tough. There's a difference in that type of disgrace. And I think it really plays into the disgrace that's also going to be brought on Jesus. You know, Mary didn't do this to herself. And disgrace is brought on her. In the same way Jesus, we put in the exact same place. He disgracefully brought on him over something that he never did. So it's interesting as you start looking at some of these, these things. And I guess what I want to tell you is don't jump too quick to Jesus. I'm going to say that, yeah, he's going to have a supernatural birth like Samson. But his is different. Make sense? Just a tangent. Take it for what it is. We'll move on. I know. They took rabbit trails. I just went on one for you. There we go. Let's keep going. Oh, this whole thing of being a Nazarite, it's really three things. Okay? Uh, you know, basically you can't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or date girls that do. No, that, that's not what it is. Uh, what it really comes down to, three things, man. At the end of the day, you know, you can't have, you know, it's, what we really understand, it's not just wine, it's fermented drink. Here's this biggest misleading thing in Christendom, especially right here in places like Orinogo, Web City, Joplin. We like to say things, well, you know, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it was really like Welch's grape juice. Baloney. It was not. It was wine. It was wine you'd get drunk on. Okay? Stop that stuff. It's not even biblically accurate. It is not accurate. You went to parties to drink wine. If you're like, well, no, the wine back then was different. Then why do we have scripture after scripture talking about us in the Old Testament about not getting drunk on wine all the way to clarifications on elders not about getting drunk on wine? It was fermented. They weren't stupid. They knew how to make this stuff. They were not somehow like, well, they didn't understand it, you know. No, they did. They were, they were craftsmen at it. They had water or really good wine, and they were great at making it. And don't, don't somehow dumb them down as if they couldn't figure it out. It's not, it doesn't take rocket science, and they, they figured it out. When it looks at this, it really even goes in beyond just wine. The, the word fermented drink for Nazarite also means strong drink because they had drinks that were even stronger than wine. Okay, they would have had stuff that would have been almost like, like we have in terms of liquor. That, that, man, they had some things in that would have been like, whew, it had some punch to it. Um, man, I got a great tangent going right now on that one, but we won't. Um, but what they told him then is that, hey, man, we, you know, and it's interesting he tells her he doesn't want her drinking. I find that interesting. Um, I, I think it's a great glimpse that God has into utero. What a beautiful glimpse that we look at God like, oh, he doesn't understand the way things. Whoa, 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 watch that. How much do we understand now about what a woman does in utero and the effect on that child? Think about that stuff. And here God, even in utero, is saying, no, 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 you can't have any drink. Cannot drink. Because he understood some of the propensity, some of the stuff that, saw, that, that, that Samson could have, could have dealt with. And I think that's fascinating that even in utero, God's saying, no, 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 no drink for you. 
Don't, don't touch the stuff. So it comes down to this. No strong drink, specifically even more strong, no fermented drink. So none of that stuff. Secondly, is uh, the, the other thing that it says, he couldn't touch a dead body. Nothing dead. Animal, human, nothing dead. You don't touch anything dead. And the third thing that he would have been told, now by dead, it doesn't mean that he couldn't eat meat or anything like that. He couldn't eat any food. It meant like a dead carcass, okay? Or like if someone passed away, he'd have to have somebody else come and help out with that. The third thing that it would have, that it would have lined out is he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. Here's a tangent thing that I think is weird about Samson. Usually in the Nazarite vow, you took the vow. Samson never got a choice. And I wonder if that's part of his, his gig part of the problem that causes him so much trouble as he grows old. Mom and dad had made this decision for me. Mom and dad put me in this position. I don't know. Not Samson, but I know that he doesn't get a choice in the matter. And this, Samson right now, every other, every other judge that you look at, uh, you would say that, that God chose them. God grew Samson from the womb. I mean, he knit him together from the very beginning to be a judge. Um, so let's keep going. We talk about um, he's going to deliver the Philistines. Um, you ever heard of a guy? You ever heard of her? Uh, her uh, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. I got to think of it here in a second. Um, uh, Hadrian. Hadrian's Wall. You ever heard of that? You ever heard of Hadrian, Roman emperor? Heard of that name? Okay. I want to help you understand the direct connotation to our world today. Okay. We've been calling them Canaanites. Right now, you're getting introduced to people called the Philistines. That's who David going to charge up Goliath. You know the story of the Philistines. We've got 40-some years of war with these people coming on. Hadrian will be the one. This is a big deal. Hadrian's going to be the Roman emperor who comes in and says, no longer is this land called Canaan. Do you know what he calls it? You just said it. He calls it Palestine. Do you know who he's naming it after? The Philistines. He's naming it after them. Yep. So when you go back, and again, I'll, I'll go into history, I find so many people that want to come in and say, the Israelites had that land first. No, they did not. No, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> they were supposed to take it, and they didn't, and that's the problem. But you can't say they had it first. You can say they were supposed to take it, and they should have waged war like God told them to, and they should have conquered like God told them to. But what you can't say is that it was theirs first, or they were the first ones there. No, they weren't. If you understand where Abraham came through, the father of Israel... He comes from Iraq is where he comes from. You know, you, you can't come in right now and say, well, you know, what you can say when you look at Israel and we want to get into all these political issues, your, your simple defense in this moment is like, yep, they should have done the job the first time. They didn't finish. That, that, that's, that's the dilemma they're in right now. Uh, is it their land? Yeah, it was a land promised to them by God. It was. It was promised by God. And their disobedience, as we've lived and learned in Judges, is why... They have struggled for generation after generation after generation. It goes all the way back to here where we are right now. Now, again, that, that is not me trying to pick at a Jewish nation. It's me trying to say that we're still fighting the same battles, folks. We're still fighting the same issues. And when you get into Palestines and Philistines and Canaanites, all, all that mix of people that are still from the Gaza Strip all the way up, right up to the borders of Syria and Egypt and everywhere in between, the Jordan River all the way to... You know, the water's there, all of that war zone. Man, that, that war has never stopped. You can keep rolling it back, rolling it back, rolling it back, rolling it back. And you can say, good night, this has been going on forever. Absolutely it has. Absolutely it has. And do I have any modern theological advice on it? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm torn on it uh, because I look at it and say, man, 
uh, you're getting uh, what you sowed, and uh, you should have listened to the Father. And, and I'm, I'm now turning my eyes towards Jesus, uh, not as if that covenant with, with Israel doesn't matter. I think he's very clear uh, that, that it does matter through the book of Romans. I'm not trying to abolish that and say it's not important, uh, but I've turned my eyes towards Jesus now. And I've turned my eyes not, not away from the old covenant as if it doesn't matter. It does matter, but I've turned my eyes toward a new covenant. Uh, and, and now I'm not looking at old Jerusalem. I'm looking at a new Jerusalem uh, whose builder maker is God. And so that's kind of where we are right now. But it's complicated. So let's keep moving on. Um, as we read through the chapter, says, The woman with her husband told us that a man of God came to me. He looked like the angel, like an angel of God. If you understand, I don't know who taught it. I can't remember what chapter it was in. That angel of God, we probably at that point are really talking about the Son of God. And I'm going to kind of give you some, some cool stuff to unpack it. We, because of Jesus, had this delineation between angels and Jesus. Uh, him showing up as Emmanuel, God with us in the womb of Mary, changed the game. It's the first time we see him introduced in human form. And that, that changed our whole identity with God. It, it just changed everything. But you've got to keep in mind, it's not as if Jesus somehow shows up on the scene in the book of Matthew and he didn't exist before that. No, no, he is God. He is God. And he shows up throughout the Old Testament. It's not as if Jesus somehow goes, so God created Jesus. No, that's not how it works. Jesus is God. And when he shows up on the scene in the book of Matthew, he's not like, well, we've added to the Trinity, you know, we've kind of expanded the partnership. It was God and the Holy Spirit, we expanded the partnership, we've now added Jesus and Matthew. No, 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 no. It's not expanded partnership. The partnership has already always been there. And so a lot of times what you're seeing in the Old Testament, I don't want to say every time because there are angels as well, but a lot of times an angel of the Lord, not every time, many times, it really is referring to Jesus and even his presence. And we're going to see one of the words in here that even foreshadows Jesus. And it's the only other time it's used is the book of Isaiah. We'll talk about that here in a second. Let's move on. It says, Then pray to God. It says, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent, uh, sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who's to be born. Got her, Benoah? Uh, and the angel of God came to him while the woman was out in the field. But her, uh, no, no, no. Uh, the angel came to, again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried. She gets her husband. He's here. She goes and gets him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, are you the one that talked to my wife? I am. I'm trying to fly through this. Um, Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what's to be the rule for the boy's life and work? Man, this is going to get into an interesting issue here because this is part of our problem. Every time I get on Facebook... Every time I get on Facebook, or if you ever look at BuzzFeed, anybody ever look at BuzzFeed? Just me. Okay, a few of us. BuzzFeed lives off of five easy steps, six quick ways. You know what I mean? How many times, if you were to pull up your Facebook, I bet you couldn't swipe your thumb three times without seeing some article giving you six steps to or three steps for. You know what I mean? It's always on there on Facebook, all the time, nonstop. We struggle with the same issue this guy struggles with. We want to know what are the steps, what I need to do. And how many times have you read that step to clean this product, you know, this, to, to clean this, read that step for this in your marriage, read that step on how to raise your kids, and the more you read that junk, it doesn't really ever solve the issue. You know, and there's always six more steps that somebody else is going to come up with. For how to cook pumpkin seeds all the way down to, I don't, there's just always something out there. It depends on the time of year. There's always something. And this guy's, he's focused on the steps right now. And, and man, if, there, if there's an American ideology, this guy's one of us right now. Because that's who we are. Give me the steps, man. What do I do? How do I, how you want me to do this? And the angel's going to be really interesting how he answers this question. The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all I told her to. You know, he's like, 
uh, okay. I love the fact that this woman's already told her husband. He said to do this, this, and this. What do you really want us to do? You know, just do what I told your wife. I already answered the question. You know, it's what the angel's saying. I already answered this. And uh, husbands learn from that. Um, you know, she basically says, she, you know, here's what I told her. She can't eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or any from a drink. She can't eat anything unclean. She can't do anything I commanded her. So then Manoah asked the Lord, well, we'd like to stay in with Tony Perry, young goat for you. They, he says he's not going to eat with him. Some cool nuances of that that we're not going to get into. Go back to Gideon and all that, but we won't. Then Manoah cried in verse 17. He cried to the angel of the Lord. Says, says, what's your name so we can honor you uh, when your word comes true? And he replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. Now that alone right there is really interesting. When he says it's beyond understanding, uh, the NIV and none of the scriptures do that justice. These are those moments that you've got to realize the Bible was not written in English. Okay? I think you guys all know that. We've talked about that. It's not written in English. And, and sometimes our words just let us down. Often our words let us down. We try to explain things. This is one of them, man. Because that phrase is used someplace else. If you get your Bibles, look at, uh, at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. What he really says is the word beyond understanding is he really says it's too wonderful. He basically says, my name is too wonderful. You know, which is an awesome way to describe yourself. But it really... What this angel of the Lord does, and here's why I think it's Jesus. This is why I think it's him. I think Jesus is showing up having a conversation right now. And interesting, you notice the, the interchange she does between the man of God and the angel of the Lord? Have you seen that tension back and forth in this text? Back and forth, back and forth, the interchange, the interplay there? I find that interesting as well. I don't know what it means. I just find it interesting. Somebody read out loud Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Hopefully I got the right text. That phrase that he uses beyond understanding, it means that his name is wonderful. And, and that's what he's saying right there. It, it, it is, it's not done due diligence in the English language to understand that. And I find that just way cool. That he just basically goes, my name is too wonderful. And, and I think the inflection of that is you, you don't understand, man. I think he's saying you don't have any clue who you're talking to right now. And he says, man, my, my name's too wonderful. And, uh, and I love what happens next because it reminds me of, of something we see in the book of Acts. Um, he says, uh, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. He takes a goat, all that kind of stuff. Verse 20, as the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their face, face of the ground. The angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah realized it was the angel of God. And then he cries out, we're doomed to die! And, uh, and honestly, it's a pretty logical conclusion. Because anytime, understand, we, we sing these songs that I think are great. Like, man, God, I want to see you. I want to touch you. I want to see you face to face. You've got to understand, in, in a New Testament covenant, yeah, I get that. But Old Testament covenant, like you pee in your pants when you see God. You're falling down like you're going you're gonna to die. You know, and, and sometimes, sometimes I feel like we grow a little too comfortable with the living God. We don't have enough awe and respect of who he is. You know, we're like, hey, uh, God, bless my fruit loops today. Peace out. Have a good day. I'm like, whoa. You know, his name was so holy. 
that they wouldn't even utter it in the Old Testament. You know, we don't even know how to pronounce the name of God. We don't know how to say his name, folks. We have four letters. Y-H-W-H. Tetragrammaton. We don't even know how to, we don't have to speak his name. They would not write his full name. It was so holy, they wouldn't even write all of it. They just wrote four letters. You'd be hooked on phonics all day. You know, how are you going to pronounce that? You have four letters. We assume, our best guess is it's Yahweh. We don't know. We don't know. It was so holy that literally when they would write it, man, they'd bathe themselves. They'd wash themselves. Walk away. Come back and begin writing again. And every time they had to write, it was so holy. They'd just write Y-H-W-H and then walk away and bathe themselves. And we say the name Jesus Christ and we don't know if it's meant to be a cuss word or, or a blessing. And I think we need to understand how utterly idiotic it is for him right now to say, what's your name? And I think God's being gracious right now. My name's too wonderful. And I think he's looking at him going, dude, you can't handle my name. You, don't, you can't handle my name. You better do like I'm going to tell Job later on. Brace yourself like a man. You want to start asking me questions. Love that text in Job. And I think it's one of those moments where God's just gracious and said, listen, you don't get it, man. My name's too wonderful. I'm out of here. It goes up in a flank, which is way cool. Uh, but it's just, again, a glimpse into how utterly clueless these people are and how far they've walked away from their reverence for God. Um, so let's keep moving on. Um, since we're doomed to die, his wife answered and said, the Lord had meant to kill us. Uh, he would have not accepted a burnt offering, a grain offering in our hands, nor shown us all the things he has told us. So she gives birth to a boy. Um, you know, yeah. Verse 14, here we go. Let's jump into, let's jump into Samson's life. So it's getting interesting here. Um, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Yeah! Golly, there's so many things wrong in here. All right. So they've raised this boy for a little while. He's old enough now that he's out cruising town looking for girls, okay? He's looking for chicks is what he's doing. He's out like, yeah, I'm Samson. I'm looking for girls now. He's got his wavy locks of hair, you know. He's probably got a beard growing right now. He is in full on. But look where he's going. Timnah is in like in the middle of Philistine territory. What was Samson? You're being raised to kill these people. What the heck are you doing going down right now trying to find a girl in that country? Why are you doing even hanging out there? You're supposed to kill them all. You're supposed to wipe them out, drive them out. And here you are trying to hook up with them? Are you kidding me, Samson? He isn't. I'm going to tell you this, and I'll love and do respect it. I don't know if I'm going to see Samson in heaven or not. I really don't. I'm torn on that. Scott, are we going to see Samson in heaven? I believe God will do the right thing. I, I think so too. I, I think he'll be there, but man, I don't know. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, he, we'll see Samson. I'm just going to say, dude, you're an idiot. You may be strong, but you're stupid, man. Just stupid and just wrong. Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a young Philistine woman. Man, he is fishing in ponds he should not be fishing in. We've talked about this whole covenant thing, man. You're not supposed to be intermarrying. Have we not heard this? And I'm going to go back and hit this. It's not an interracial issue. We've dealt with that in our culture. It's an interreligious issue. The issue with marriage. And if you're like, well, no, it was interracial. No, you're wrong. Moses married a woman that was not an Israelite, and God blessed him. The issue is right now, the issue is not about race. The issue is about your faith. That's why Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. Not with people who aren't your race. Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Do you understand? The issue here, it's not just, it's not just a racial issue. This is, uh, this is bigger than that. He said, man, you cannot. The idolatry is going to kill you. You're, it's going to corrupt you. And right now, these people, are, they're, they're in dire straits, man. They're in deep trouble. 
I mean, they're, they're a couple generations away from extinction right now as a people. Because they're just doing life with the Philistines like it's no big deal. Keep reading on. It says, when he turned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Good. Now, if you could hear the tone of this teenage boy, you back in. I mean, there are times, even with my own boys, I'm like, dude, seriously. My dad worked construction. He's a good man. But there are, there are days where he probably would palm me by my face and launch me across the room. Like, especially, there are, there are ways that kids talk to their fathers now. They're like, whoo, okay. And you think, back in my day, okay, well, let's reel that back a few millennium. Let's go back to Samson's day. You don't talk to your dad like that. I mean, that's just not. In that day, marriages were arranged. You didn't just go walk around and say, I want her. No, 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 no. They got together. They arranged this stuff. And really, what, what, if you understand the Hebrew, what he says is, she seems right in my eyes. Now, man, if that's not the, the state of Israel, that's not the state of who they are right now in this book. He says, get her for me. She looks good to me. She looks right by my eyes. And man, and if you can think about that, that is their problem, man. You know, the whole issue we've read, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw it was right in their own eyes. And that's Samson, man. He is impulsive. Samson sees this girl, and he wants her now, immediately. Um, his father replied, he says, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own relatives? I mean, they're trying, or among our people. Must you go for the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And it, that is more than just a reflection, you know, on... <laughs> Yeah, okay. Uh, it, it really is a reflection of covenant. They're not covenant people. You know, what are you doing? And, you know, that, that circumcision that came through Abraham was a reflection of covenant. It really was. And you've got to understand, the Israelites are not the only people in all of the, the Middle East that, that practice circumcision. They, they weren't. There were other groups that, that would have done this. Some people would say that the Egyptians at puberty would have done stuff like this. I read some stuff on that. But this was, this was more than just cutting off foreskin off of a penis. This is a consecration before God. There were covenant people here. It's more than that. We're covenant people here. And they're saying, man, man, Samson, she's, she's not a covenant girl. Samson, you can't marry. She's not a covenant girl. And in some ways, you can, you can look at it in her own day and age, and you can say, you know, a boy brings a girl home and says, man, mom, I really love her. You know, wow, you know, she's spiritual, mom. She's spiritual. Okay, she's spiritual, but she's not a covenant girl, is what you'd have to say. She doesn't walk with Jesus. Yeah, but mom, she's of this religion or that religion. Yeah, 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 here she's spiritual. The issue isn't spirituality. The issue is covenant. Yeah, I'm sure this, I'm sure this Philistine girl was incredibly spiritual, but she wasn't covenant. Is that making sense? So the problem we've got right now, and what Paul would say, is that you don't enter into those relationships. Now, at the same time, I would say Paul's also clear that if you've already entered into a relationship with somebody who's not covenant, man, Paul says you don't divorce somebody just because they're not covenant. You know, you let your testimony, your witness, you know, play out there. Paul's really, really clear on that. You don't divorce because they're not believers. But Paul is very clear. This is not something that's just Old Testament, it's New Testament. The principle remains. We marry covenant people. We yoke ourselves with covenant people. You know, it's like, well, you know what? I think I can change. And the issue isn't change. The issue comes in that you are welcoming an idolatry. When you call in, you're going to unite with somebody. The values are different. The principles are different. The allegiances are different. It's a covenant issue. And even if they claim to be spiritual... Are they covenant? Does that make sense? Are you with, did I lose you all? All right, moving on. Let's go on. Let's go on. Let's go on. Beating a dead horse here. It says, uh, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's right. She's the right one for me. That's where he says, she's right in my eyes. Um, his parents didn't know that this was from the Lord. Nah, that gets tricky. That's going to get tricky. Woo! That's going to get divisive in some fun ways. 
So God says don't intermarry. God says don't. And then we read that. Did you read it? What's up there? What's up with that? God says you can't intermarry. Now understand, not a racial issue. It's a covenant issue. God says you can't intermarry. But then check this out. He says his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. Um, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. That seems like God enticing someone. That seems like God leading someone down a path. Well, understand this. What I'll say first of all is it's Samson that goes walking through Philistine country. It's Samson that seeks out this woman. It's Samson that says he wants to marry her. I think, in my opinion, it gets to that point so God says, listen, man, uh, I can even use evil things to accomplish my good. And God realizes that his judge... His spoiled brat of a judge whose parents have not been able to raise him the right way at this point. God says, all right, that's where you're at. God says, that's what you're thinking. I think God reads this point and he says, listen, I, I I can even use your stubbornness to accomplish my good. I can even use your stupidity to bring salvation. And so God says, I'm going to turn you over to your own devices. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you want this. Here we go. So keep moving on. That's going to play out big time here in a minute. So Samson went down to Timnah together. Um, As they approached the the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, uh, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. Uh, But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Here's the deal. what, What Nazarite vow has he just broken? Doesn't mean it can't be restored, but he's just broken as a right vow. What is it? Okay, so here's the deal. The issue is not that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to destroy this goat, I mean this lion. He rips it apart, destroys it. The issue comes in, the next verse is the telling part that I think we miss. I miss. The issue comes in when he says, but he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Well, part of it is it's going to play later on in a riddle. We'll talk about that. But the other part of it right now is that Samson should have at that point gone to the temple. Samuel should have said, hey, not Samuel, Samson should have, should have gone to the temple. He said, hey, I need purification. I've killed this animal. I'm a Nazarite. You know, can you take me? Can you, can you cleanse me? Can you purify me right now? And that was possible for a Nazarite to be able to get cleansed. But at this point, he doesn't do that. He doesn't tell anybody. So you're finding this element of secrecy starting to take over Samson where he's kind of a lone ranger. He kind of does his own thing. And I can tell you right now how many of you can go back to your high school days and think of the crap you got into that you hid from your parents, you never told anybody, you kept it a secret, you kept it hidden. And honestly, it doesn't just somehow miraculously, you know, disappear when you come in your 20s or your 30s. And at this point, we've got throughout our culture, wives not telling their husbands what they're doing, husbands not telling their wives, kids not telling their parents. And this issue of secrecy, you know, it's really clear that if we, you know, confess our sins to one another, man, and, and this is that, I might want to say this is a sin that he killed the lion. The issue is that, man, you've made yourself on pure Samson. You should have talked about it. You should have come out and said, hey, hey, here's the deal. This is what happened. And I think, in my opinion, there would have been some level of understanding. You know, the Spirit of the Lord came over to protect him. He's going to fight. Man, if I could rip a line apart, that'd be awesome. But to me, it's a secrecy that plays in here. That's, that's my opinion on it. Moving on. It says, when he sat down, he talked to the woman, and he liked her. Dude, he's... <laughs> Uh, this is more than he liked her, dude. This, this is every impulse you've ever had, you know, when you were young and 
you know, yeah, this, this, this is all that more. He, he, he more than likes her. He wants her now. And you'll see this play out with Delilah later on we, uh, next week. Uh, so some time later, he went back to marry her. He turned aside the lion's carcass, and in it was a swarm of bees and some honey. That's a problem. What's wrong with that? Obviously, what's wrong? Yeah, it's dead. Can you tell me any time in history you could ever think of? What in heaven's a dead carcass? Yeah, flies and maggots. What in the world? We got bees in a dead carcass? Anybody ever heard anything like that before? I think God's looking at him saying, Samson, how far are you going to go? How far are you going to go? Because what are you going to tolerate? You eventually come to accept. So you're going to marry Philistine. You're going to kill this lion. It's going to be a dead carcass. You're not going to tell anyone. Dude, will you go so far that you'll literally start eating from a dead carcass? Like you're going to go that far to where you're just going to say, forget you, God. Forget the covenant. I mean, he's going to go so far that not just touching it, he'll to get the point where God's like, you're going to literally sit down and feast off of something in the middle of a dead carcass. I think the point of this is God saying, do you see how far you've gone, Samson? Can you see it? This guy's gone a long way down. So it goes on. It says, uh, and it was a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out of his hands and he ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some. Oh, man. And they too ate it. Write your own sermon right there. But he did not tell them again. See a pattern? Did not tell them again that he'd taken the honey from a lion's carcass. Just a man of secrets. Says his father went down to see the woman. And I'm sure that was incredibly difficult for him. And Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. All right. We've heard about wedding banquets before. First miracle Jesus ever does is at a wedding feast. And what do you find there? Yeah, okay. It may not be implicit in the verse, but when it talks about a feast, the word feast at other times can imply uh, directly uh, wine. Not just imply, but mean wine. So now we've got him eating out of dead carcasses. You know, you've got him touching dead things. And now literally, if you understand it says here, now his father went down to see the woman and Samson made a feast. Samson made a feast. As was customary for bridegrooms. And when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. So he now is, I would imagine, he's, my impression is he's drinking this party now. He's having wine, he's drinking. And, and this guy, he's supposed to be deliverer of Israel, man. He's screwed up. He's a jacked up individual. Totally tanking it, man. He's let me tell you, Riddle Samson said to them, he's got 30 guys standing around him. And so he is uh, like any guy, any man in this room, you put them at Samson's age, and there were a bunch of guys they probably don't know very well. And they got 30 guys all sitting around them. Man, the smack talk has begun, the bravado has begun, Samson's flexing, you know, and, and he's trying to show his prowess. And he's trying to impress these 30 guys, trying to make, make his presence known. And he does this. He, he's kind of a jerk. He says, uh, he says, if you can give me an answer within se- seven days. Oh, 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 sorry. He says, let me tell you a riddle. Samson said to them. And he gives a, the standard. He says, if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. All right, so Samson's issue here is not just women. Samson's also, this is a weird, that's a weird thing to ask for. No one would have had 30 sets of clothes. 
back then. No one. That would have been a sign of absolute extreme wealth. I mean, that is opulence for someone to have 30 sets of clothes. And, uh, and it's a weird thing to ask for. He's got these 30 guys like, all right, I'm going to take the clothes off your back. Is what I'm going to do to you. He goes in, he says, uh, he says, Tosha Riddle, he said, let's hear it. He says, and out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. Well, you just heard what the guy did. He just took honey out of a dead carcass. Okay? He's walking along, there's a lion he killed, it's got honey in it. He reaches in, pulls it out. He says, out of the eater, that's the lion, something to eat, honey. Out of the strong, the lion, something sweet, honey. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson White, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us. Now keep in mind, back then, if you were engaged, it, it was almost presupposed at marriage. You, you already called the wife. Okay, so they're, I don't know if they've consummated. I would not be surprised if Samson's already slept with this girl and everything else. But the bigger context is, in this text, you're like, wait, the marriage hasn't happened yet. Why are they calling him his wife? That's just the way it worked back then. And he says, but this is what they say. Coax your husband explaining the riddle for us, or we'll burn you and your father's house to death. I think they mean it. He says, did you invite us here to rob us? Samson's wife threw her on him sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. Oh my goodness, drama. Wow. I mean, I think it's real though. I think she's panicked. I think she's terrified. He says, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me an answer. And he says, I haven't explained it to my father and mother. He replied, so why should I explain it to you? What a great start to a marriage. <laughs> she cried the whole seven days of the feast. Ay, ay, ay. Man, this is just a great party. Great party. Samson knows how to really live. He knows how to have a great party. Everybody hates him. Everybody hates her. They're going to burn down their house and kill them all. And he and his bride-to-be are really not on good terms. He says, on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him, which means she went on and on and on, not going there. Um, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before the sunset of the seventh day, the men of the town just said, what's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? <sighs> Chumps. Chumps. And <laughs> this next line is one of the classic lines in all of Scripture. It's one of my favorite lines in all the Bible. I love this. And Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Boom! It's like, drop the mic, walk off. Like, that is awesome. You hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know my riddle. I'm like, how disrespectful to her, one, you basically called her a cow. But I'm like, if you can ever work that into a conversation, I think Sam's a train wreck. But dude, that's just money. That's like art. I love that. It's terrible, but I love it. I don't know why it makes me laugh. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. He walks 23 miles down to this place called Ashkelon. 23 miles he walks. He says he went down to Ashkelon. He struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to explain the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And basically, Samson goes home to cool off. He leaves, he leaves her down there, and he bails. He's like, I, I got to cool off right now. I'm hot. I know I'm mad. I'm ticked. Let me get out of here. Which is one of the few admirable things that Samson does. So literally, he goes 23 miles. He murders. This is not purging. This is not the, the holy war at some level that God had said, rid the Philistines. This is vengeance. And I think that we got we to see a difference here in this judge right now. This is not him acting for God's people. It's not him acting on the ordinance and call that God has given him. Is he accomplishing God's task? Well, yeah, he is. He is, but Samson's just mad. He's just ticked. So he goes down and just slaughters 30 guys, takes their clothes, walks back up. And I, I, in my mind, the way I picture it, here's the way I picture it. I think he killed them, 
slaughtered them, utterly annihilated them, and in my mind, then he takes their clothes off. And I think he walks up with these bloody clothes and goes, there's no defining what the clothes are going to look like. Boom. And just throws them right in their face, one after another. 30 of them, blood slow clothes. And they're like, oh, oh. And basically says, you want some? Just stands there looking at them. Nobody wants some Samson. You know, they don't know how he got the clothes, but all they know is that there's 30 sets of blood soaked clothes here. And he can tell. They're, they're the way that they're Philistine clothes. They can tell by the size. Like, those are some big boys. Like, I don't know what happened here, but I wonder what those 30 guys are doing. Like, uh, see ya. So anyway, chapter 15. Good night. I'm going way too slow. Said so later on, the time of the wheat harvest. That's like May or June. Said Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Odd thing to take, man. I'm thinking you take roses and chocolates, but he takes a young goat. He says, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. All right. It's everything you think is about to happen. He wants to go see the girl. Uh, he says, I was so sure that you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Good night. This, this father is just like, man. Oh, just so many problems here. And Samson said to them, this time I have a right. Now understand, what does that imply? If he says, this time I have a right, what's the implication? Last time I didn't. Yeah, last time I didn't. Last time he was just ticked off. And he says, this time I have a right to get even the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes. All right, that word foxes, I'm not trying to take issue. I don't think these are actually foxes. That word could also mean jackals. And, uh, and, and foxes are really solitary animals. You don't even see them that often. And you start hearing that, most commentators say it probably were jackals is what he's grabbing. And those would have been easy to get a hold of. You know. And he gets, 30 ja- he gets all these jackals, 300 of them. And he fastened a torch to every pair of tails. And I'll be honest with you, I think this is cruel. I, I think it's a terrible thing he does. I love animals and... You know, I, I know even our family. If we go hunt, the first thing we do is we sit down on our front porch when it's still dark outside. I don't get to deer hunt this year. I'm going to start crying about that. <sighs> I don't get to pull my bow back. But, uh, but I sit down with my kids, and I know in our, in our family, I, I think I give Mark Christian grief about making fun of cats. And I just look up and say, dude, that's wrong. They're created in the image. I mean, not in the image of God. They're created by God. He says they're good. You can't, you can't go there. God, God makes good things. And do I, do I want to have a cat at my house? No, I don't. But... The Father still created them, and they're good. And I think, I, I think yeah, I'm holding on to Genesis on that one. But I look at this, and I see what Samson does, and I think it's cruel. I know for my boys, my, my daughter, if we're going to go hunting, first thing we do is we, we pray. And if the Lord allows us to, you know, we, we go to hunt, we don't go to kill. And if we do get a chance to, to shoot a deer or something like that, man, the first thing we do is we pray in the stand. And then as soon as we make that, 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 that kill, you know, we go down and we, we get on our knees before the Father. And we thank Him for this creation that he made and we thank him for the honor and the opportunity and we commit to the father and you know I don't allow my kids just go out and shoot things willy nilly or be cruel to animals I think what Samson does here I think he's a jerk it's just a cruel thing to grab, grab all these animals and do this he says let torches and let the foxes or jackals loose in the standing grain a lot of people think that's corn um, uh, which would have been a, a pretty typical way to get even with an enemy and this stuff still happens today uh, right now we're studying a story in Uganda um one of the issues, we're doing, we're doing a, a film at CIY um, about land grabbing. And immediately, we think land grabbing, you guys are like boomer sooner. Uh, but land grabbing still happens. One of the things we're dealing with is these widows. How much time have I got? Okay, i got to go on this tangent real quick. Um, these widows, they pass away, 
And next thing you know, a, their, a relative comes in and says, I'm, I'm taking your land. It's mine now. Your husband's gone. He can't defend you. And she may have little kids. And they just come in and say, they just, they just kick her to the street. And we're doing a film talking about what it's like with land grabbing. And one of the stories we're looking at is this, this older woman who literally gets beaten continually by, I think it's her husband's brother, uh, trying to make her leave the property, just beats her. And she went out and planted, you know, all of the crops she needed in her little area to make money to support her family. And as soon as they started growing up, he went out and just set them on fire, dug them all up, and just destroyed it. And now, you know, she's looking at starvation. How is she going to live through the winter? How is she going to make it? Uh, and so this is a pretty typical thing that you would do even in this day and age, but especially in that day and age if you want to get even hurt people. You just burn the crops down. You know, you can think about a farmer right before he's ready to harvest that corn. It's starting to turn. You know, somebody walks out and lights that thing on fire, you know, as, as that corn's about harvest time, what that would mean to that farmer. I mean, you're going to talk about anger, 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 anger. You know, of course, now farmers have got insurance and stuff like that. There's no insurance in these crops. No insurance here. It's just gone. Can you imagine how Philistines are ticked? And he says, he burned up the, stock, the, the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. I mean, he wipes them out. When the Philistines ask who did this, they're told Samson, uh, the Timnite son-in-law, uh, because his wife was given to his friends. So the Philistines went up <laughs> and burned her and her father to death. Samson said, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. He went down and stayed at a cave on the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. We don't know where that is. The men of Judah ask, why have you come to fight us? Okay, now think about it. That's a big deal. Tell me why Judah in this conversation is important in the light of judges. Take a gamble on it. Remember this whole conversation with the Lion of Judah? Remember that? We talked about how Jesus... Huh? Okay, he, yeah, Jesus being the line of Judah. And the beautiful thing is he went first to conquer death. And he went to conquer something he couldn't conquer. We tied, make some tiebacks to, to the very beginning of Judges. Who's the first group, the first tribe, that straps the sword to their side that says, we're going to take the land? Who is it? It's Judah. What has happened to this tribe? They go from Judges 1 of being the first one to strap a sword to their side saying, we'll take them all, we'll kill them all. This is our land. They're the only ones that succeed, if you remember that, because everyone after them, they can't get it done. Judah's the only one that goes in. And now you find them here, talking to the Philistines, saying, why have you come to fight us? They're at this point now where they're about to capitulate with the enemy. They're about to partner with the enemy right now. Watch this. Judah, the people that were respected in Judges 1. Judah, the only tribe that had some, you know, some swagger about them. I'll state it politely. Judah, the only tribe that we can look at and go, ah, Judah, there you go, there you go, we got Judah. Now here we are, the last judge. He says, 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? They've given in, dude. What are you going to tolerate eventually come to accept? Dude, that's the point that, you know, James says, friendship of this world is, enemy, is, is, is like being an enemy of God. They, they have reached this point of friendship. They've reached this point where, man, they're rulers over us. It is what it is. We give up. We give in. The reason why this is such a big deal is because they're two generations away from being wiped out as a people. They're going to intermarry. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got to keep in mind, it's not about just 
God protecting Israel. It's not about God protecting His people. It's about God delivering on the promise He gave to Abraham for Jesus. And this bloodline from Abraham all the way to Matthew has got to be kept. The promise has to be handed off. You can't drop the baton halfway around the 4 by 400 You can't drop it. And at this point, God's saying, you can't intermarry. You can't be with them because I've made a promise back here to Abraham. I'm going to take it all the way through until Jesus. This can't be dropped right now. You guys cannot intermarry. And here they are. They're just giving in. Yeah, man, whatever. Whatever. Come on. Whatever. There's no standard for Judah anymore. And it says, uh, Solomon, Samson says, he says, I merely did to them what they did to me. And they said, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. You guys are idiots. They have no idea what they're getting into. Samson said to me, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. I don't know where Samson's head is. I don't want to give him too much credit. But I'd like like to see something positive in Samson right now. I think Samson knows what he's capable of. I think Samson understands what he could do right now. And uh, I don't know. Uh, every other time the Spirit of God has come on, but I think Samson also realizes, I have a supernatural ability. And he says, swear to me, you'll kill me yourselves. And I almost see a little smirk on Samson's face when he says it. Agreed, they answered. We'll only tie you up and hand you over to them. We'll not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. And the ropes from his arms came like charred flax. And the bindings dropped from his hands. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. I want to say flat out, there's no way he should be able to do that. No one alone should be able to kill a thousand men. I want to tell you that in the same way that that Jesus walks on water and he heals the sick and he parts the waters, it is a supernatural miracle of what he does here. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him and I picture that if you ever watch the old Matrix movie, old movie, I think this is an absolute freak show that goes on. This is an absolute miracle from God. He's up on a hill, and I think as they, as they come up on this hill, he's just like, fwah, fwah, just chopping them down. As this, as he's, he, it literally says he's placed himself up on this hill, and as they come up, it's just bodies hitting the floor one after another. I mean, it is a bloodbath, and he is just wailing on. And it is everything you would picture in terms of bloodshed and horror. And that's why if you could, you know, make a movie the Book of Judges, it's rated R. This would be, this would be blood fest, man. It, it is everything you think it is. A thousand Philistines drop. And all the time they keep thinking, we're going to overpower him, we're going to overpower him. And he just keeps mowing him down with the jawbone of a donkey. And this is a really interesting play on words he does here. He says, with a donkey's jawbone, uh, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. And basically be the equivalent of saying, you know, with the, you know, the jawbone of an ass, uh, I've laid them in mass. You know, it really is a pretty savvy, if you understood the Hebrew here, it's a pretty savvy thing he says here. It's pretty slick. And it, it is pretty quick. And it's pretty, like, disrespectful to all of it. He's like, with the jawbone of an ass, I've laid them in mass. Is what it'd be like, like, let's go, you know. Uh, and then he goes on, he says, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. Interesting, he used something dead to accomplish his task. And the place was called Ramelah. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. Hey, how many times have you ever heard any, any time in Samson's story crying out to the Lord? He'll do it one other time. Samson only cries out to God twice. That's it. Somebody tell me when the other one is? Yep. 
That's the only other time he'll cry out to God. That's it. He goes on, he says, You've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then God opened up a hollow place in the eye, water came out of it. Samson drank, his strength returned, and he was revived. Um, he says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And I don't know how many more he kills. Here's, we, we really are out of time. Like, I've got to be done. I'm going to try to wrap up some more stuff on this next week before we get into the whole Samson Delilah stuff. It's an amazing story. Hopefully you pulled some stuff. I just covered three chapters, which for some of you guys have been with me as we've been teaching this, that in itself might have been a miracle. <laughs> covered three chapters, for crying out loud. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. Uh, but there's some cool stuff in here. I want to do some wrap-up, but we really are at the time we need to quit. I'll do some wrap-up next week of just some reflections on those three chapters about the church. Uh, what can we learn from Judah? What can we learn from the Israelites? You know, and that whole concept of that what are you being to tolerate you've eventually come to accept. And what happens when we get so much friendship with the world that we start to lose our own identity. And I think there's some important things that we didn't really impact in these chapters that I think deserve impact. So, good stuff? Well, man, thanks for letting me come back and hang out with you guys. I'm going to be here next week. And then I think I'm going to take, I won't be able to teach the next two Sundays, but I will the next, all the rest of the Wednesdays, I think I can. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm grateful to be walking. I'm grateful to be upright. I'm grateful for God's mercy. And uh, it's good to be back with you guys. So, man, thank you. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.